tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, Slain Swedes, Black Market Babies, Bones Nose, and Med Scam. Hi, I'm your co-host Crystal. And I'm your other co-host Robert, and this is Reenacted, an Unsolved Mysteries podcast being recorded live from my new place that I'm living at. I hear it has a door and four walls. It does indeed have those things. Um, Added bonus, Mm -hmm. when I came and initially looked at it, Mm -hmm. there was like a bathroom. Mm. And I just assumed this was like, oh, this is just the bathroom for the house and I'm going to be sharing it with the you know, the guy I'm renting from. Mm -hmm. But it turns out that his bedroom has a bathroom inside of it. Mm. So he basically said, like, yeah, this is your bathroom. So Very nice. Bonus, yeah. I should should send you some potpourri for your new bathroom. Or something, some fancy soaps. Uh, I (laughs) already have a basket full of little fancy soaps. Oh, you do? Uh... Yeah, it, it just accumulated over. T- I'm sorry. That's you sound genuinely disappointed that you you're not going to be able to send that to me. No, that's okay. I can send you something weirder that you'll enjoy more. Or could you could you send me mm-hmm. like 15 bucks and I'll repay you on Friday? <laughs> sure. Okay. Thank you. Um, <laughs> as we just air out, Ro- yeah. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine, Robbie. I got you, the, bro. To the audience. Okay. <laughs> Don't worry um, about that. What? Well, you're really putting me on yeah. the spot, though. Like we're recording, and then what if I was like, um, I don't know, <laughs> and then uh, I would, then I, you know, that, but I, just don't worry about it. It's fine. That, that's when we have to call in Connor. <laughs> Connor, can you edit that out? Uh, Crystal's a cheap bastard. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Um, and yeah, no, this place is great. Uh, I mean, I, as you, as you know, I previ- previously was taking shelter in a, uh, trailer, um, really wasn't hooked up to anything. So mm-hmm. this, it's quite a luxury to have, uh, heating. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't seen my breath once since. That's so good, since, dude. Uh, yeah, I know it's. Oh, man. And then electricity. Mm -hmm. I mean, at any point, I can just turn on a light and I can see in the dark. Wow. 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 Yeah. Um, Yeah. I'm not sure that our our listeners like knew we'd been kind of cagey about the situation. Really? Yeah. No, you talked you talked about being in the in the trailer with the cats, but I don't I don't think we like I don't think you ever, you know, explicitly stated it was kind of like a a edge of civilization situation. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. um, uh, I guess. Yeah, I guess it never occurred to me. Uh, uh, We always had so many more interesting things to talk about in our openings, like how to load your dishwasher. <laughs> Still getting hate mail for that one. Um, yeah, boy. Yeah, Wait, well, it never uh, stops. I'm so happy that you and uh, the uh, Justinian and uh, what's the other cat's name? 
Constantine. Justinian and Constantine and your and yourself are not going to be freezing to death this winter. God, yeah. Like, you know, last winter, uh, it was just uh you know, I, I mean if 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 I had enough uh, pile of blankets that mm-hmm. I, I threw on top of myself and the cats would wanna like crawl in underneath that that mm-hmm. mess. So it was like having two little eating pads on either side of my body Mm -hmm. um but it it did make for like it did make uh uh, for getting up in the morning very disagreeable Mm -hmm. oh i don't want to leave this cocoon Um, oh yeah i mean that's that's hard enough as it is even if you're in a a regular you know house with heating just that that emerging from the womb when the alarm goes off it's just it's just it's just pain every morning in the winter time. It's so cold. I ate it so much. Yes. Um, yes. And mm-hmm. but yeah, so you know, um, I'm enjoying my new place. I'm, I'm slowly getting stuff transferred into here. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm gonna get myself a desk that I'll be doing my official podcasting from. Oh, I love it. And that's what that's what I'm up to. Well, that sounds great. I'm real. I'm super happy for you. Also, yeah. I just uh, I sent you twenty bucks just now. So. Oh, cool! Extra five. <laughs> Thank uh, you, Crystal. You are very welcome. Have a merry Christmas on me. Um, <laughs> okay. Do you want to talk about this very odd but fascinating episode of Unsolved Mysteries? I think it's season season four, episode twenty one. In case anyone's playing along, you want to talk about it? I do want to talk about this uh, this particular episode of Unsolved Mysteries. So let's talk about some Swedish maids. And um, the story we're going to tell about the Swedish maids is not as horny as you would like it to be from that description. Yeah. (laughs) Unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately, I while watching this segment, I was like, damn, uh, about half of what I would want to talk about here. I just can't because uh, of the unfortunate circumstances surrounding mm-hmm. this this case. Because yeah. normally, yeah, two, two lovely Swedish women, mm-hmm. uh, you, you throw them into a maid situation or a hitchhiking mm-hmm. situation, mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's usually the start of a totally different sort of uh, media. Yeah, but, definitely. Yeah, you kind of, and then that situation can be, often become like a massage situation. Um, but unfortunately, none of that happens here. Okay, so Marie Lillienberg, I think that's how you say it. And uh, Maria Wallen, again, uh, not great on my Swedish pronunciations. I'm so glad that you, you volunteered <laughs> to take the lead on this segment. <laughs> I didn't even anticipate the pronunciation mm-hmm. issues. I'm just, I'm reading the names written down and they're uh, difficult. So, but they're, they're, they were both, and I'm saying were because you can, well, I said hitchhiking and women. So you can kind of put two and two together where this story yeah. might be headed. Um, the segment actually starts really weirdly uh, with this guy's like, oh, he's like behind a gas station or something. I don't know. 
Yeah, he's 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 an employee employee of the gas station. He's taking something out to the trash or something. Yeah, and he and it's in City of Commerce, which allegedly is near Los Angeles. <laughs> I take it that the, the that may not necessarily be exactly the case then, um, from the tone of your voice. Listen, Robbie, I don't know where anything is down here. So, oh, okay. Um, like. Especially with COVID, like my world has gotten to be very small. So, uh, I city of com. It sounds familiar. I'm going to assume it's down by the airport. It, but maybe it's not. Uh, according to okay. the map that Unsolved Mysteries so helpfully has provided, though, because we're going on a road trip, folks, buckle up. Uh, city of Commerce looks to be a little bit to the north of central Los Angeles. But again, yeah, there's like all these little. T- there's like all these little towns that are kind of not in LA, but like surrounded by Los Angeles. I think city of commerce might be one of those towns. Oh, interesting. Okay. But I don't really know. Please. I don't, don't correct me. I don't care. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so Marie and Maria. Okay. That's, we'll get to that. So city of commerce, this guy's opening the dumpster in the back of the gas station. And there's these two, like, backpacks that he pulls out and he starts rifling through them and then we immediately cut to I don't it's like a guy from the FBI or maybe it's a cop or maybe it's a lawyer or maybe it's a doctor I don't know maybe it's the guy from the Swedish consulate I don't remember which guy this is but um, he's telling us that the things that were found in the backpack were sort of indicative of um, someone who there was lots of souvenirs and journals and calendars and things like that so somebody who had been traveling across the united states like picking up souvenirs um which i man i really want to go on like a side thing about what i think may have been in that backpack um but i don't should we <laughs> I, i'm kind of curious now i, I feel like i'm going to get some interesting insights from, i just from this I just think there was probably, and also because they were, there's enough in the backpacks to identify who they belong to. So what I think was in there was just a series of those vanity plates from different states that just said Marie or Maria. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I Um, I think it was just a bag of those things. That's what I think. I, I, that makes sense. Those things are ubiquitous everywhere. Anyways, um, so, yeah. <laughs> um, the backpacks, uh, they found them in City of Commerce. Um, and so they were able to, they, I guess the authorities were able to connect them to these gals that had gone missing. And there's a whole reenactment with two young women in their early 20s with kind of <laughs> strange accents, I guess. I'm guessing these were probably American actors. They asked to like... You know, do a Swedish accent. I am a Swedish woman. I mean, if you're like me, your entire, uh, you know, all of Swedish media representation is uh, boils down to Swedish chef from the Muppets. So that's not very flattering to the Swedes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, yeah, I guess not. <laughs> um, anyway, so they. The story was uh, these two gals, they had met uh, in Vail, Colorado. I guess they were um, worked at the ski resort. 
No, they, they were maids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They came to to work uh, at uh, as maids at the resort, I guess, on a seasonal basis or something. Mm-hmm. Maybe they, I they don't really go into the details of the, their background much, but I I kind of just assumed like, oh, they thought like, hey, we'll go work at that ski resort, and you know, uh, and and doing so, we can yeah, we'll kind of get to see America or something. Mm-hmm. I remember that yeah. being a thing in uh, Reno, too. Like, you would get these seasonal yeah. workers, um, like, during either the summer or during ski season. And a lot of them would be, like, from Germany or Switzerland or um, the Nordic countries. Do you remember that? It's I'm sure it happens a lot less now. But there was, like, actually, definitely, like, Swedish season. Do you remember this? Well, I, I, I didn't come across or experience it personally but yes i i i I was aware of of that phenomenon so as we learn from the swedish consulate guy he's not the ambassador he's just the consulate guy i'm so sorry everyone (laughs) i don't know what words are tonight uh, I, so I was he, confused because his English is so flawless that mm-hmm. I was like, "Wait, is this is this our consul to Sweden?" Yeah, uh, but, but no. I guess I, I'm mm-hmm. I'm assuming he's just a Swede who who just speaks fluent English. Well, you know, here's the thing: I think Swedish people are very can very uh, well because also everyone in Europe learns English uh, mm-hmm. uh, at a young age, right? But I, I think for whatever reason, uh, Swedish people can very easily slip into an American accent. So, like, uh, I'll give you, like, uh, mm. do you remember the guy who played the most recent RoboCop? Uh, what's his name? Oh, uh, in the in the in the remake mm-hmm, one. Or mm-hmm. okay, uh, yeah, I know, I know of him. Yes. Uh, what's I'm trying to remember his name. He's he's tall very handsome he's in he's been in a bunch of american television shows too um he was in a show called the killing i don't know if anyone's seen that but it was pretty good um anyways uh he's he's like secret swedish like he's he's an actor (gasps) from sweden but you would never know yeah yeah i'm not i would never know name at all but uh, yeah, no, he, he, the first thing I saw him in, The Killing, he was doing sort of this accent of, which is really specific of, uh, like, sort of a lower, n- lower working class guy from Seattle. And okay, listen, I know, pl- <laughs> I've known plenty of those people, and this guy nailed it. And then, like, I found out he was, like, had this whole career in Sweden before he came to the United States to do to acting, so... But you would never know. I just oh, feel like Swedes can like really like camouflage themselves as Americans very easily. <laughs> um, I'll, buy, I'll, buy, I'll buy it. Okay. But moving on. Uh, so the consulate guy is explaining to the us that I guess in Sweden it's a very open society. And that sort of implies that in the 80s like people could just hitchhike around and it was fine. Um, and then, um, you know, obvious I'm, as I'm watching this segment, I'm sort of like horrified (laughs) that two young women, especially not knowing the country very well at all. So they don't know where they're being taken or what things, or they're not familiar with the landscape as they hitchhike around California. Uh, 
they they're just like jumping in people's trucks and stuff like you know getting yeah. into the cabs of truck drivers they uh, spend all like three seconds sort of sizing the driver up and right. concluding like yeah yeah it's fine well i mean it's also like do you think serial killers or people who murder women just drive around like with a t-shirt that says you know i love killing on it like, <laughs> you're not gonna know what are you doing um and also right. there's got there's gotta be murderers in Sweden. I refuse to believe it. it was just like this perfect society in the eighties. Come the fuck on. Yeah, yeah. I what I found troubling was like everyone was telling them like don't. Mm-hmm. But if, if the people working at the ski lodge, everyone was like, No, right. you don't get it. Uh, this this is not a good idea. Yeah. And they uh what the hell? Sorry, my, one of my cats has jumped into a plastic tote. And, I mean, as cats are wont to do, you know, he sort of curled up. But he was trying to use it as a scratching post. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm just watching that because it's like, that's not, it's not going to be what you're looking for, dude. Um, I'll, I'll post pictures if I think to take some, if he's still in there at the end of the record session. Okay. But yeah, like people are warning them and they just did it anyway. Cause uh, well, I mean, one of them had a, uh, like a, what, a two inch knife. So, so she, I guess was pretty confident. Yeah, she was ready. All right. Yeah. Um, uh, and I guess they, they also, in the segment, they interview one of the truck drivers that had picked them mm-hmm. up. Um, and he had, the, I guess he was the last one of the last people to see them alive uh, because yeah. he at some point, he had basically taken them as far as he could take them. And then he handed them off to another truck driver who he trusted to, uh, uh-huh. to get them the rest of the way. So I think they were headed towards they, they were, uh, yeah. Mark Hansen uh, drove yeah, he, that's yeah, the they- truck driver. They interview, he drove them from San Diego to Compton cool right and then and then and then then good lord um and then uh and then and then in compton there's a handoff uh where mark uh you know hands them off to uh his friend and then they get a ride from compton to oakland great (laughs) Even better, um, which is near San Francisco, in case anybody is wondering where that is. So that's that's a good six-hour ride from Compton to Oakland. Um, yeah. So the last time the women – so we don't – there's I don't think the segment nor any information I've seen is suggests that it's Mark's friend that killed them. No, no. I don't think that's the situation. Oh, and they're dead. That's why their backpacks were in the um, – Right. They're in the dumpster. Um, so they were last seen alive on July 22nd. Oh, this is back in 1983. I should probably mention this wasn't like in the early 90s when Unsolved Mysteries is. But the reason that we're talking about it in the early 90s is because uh, someone called the Swedish consulate. The Swedish consulate, finger quotes, uh, yeah. which can uh, Unsolved Mysteries apparently can reproduce by putting what looked like a framed picture of the uh, Swedish royal family and then Mm -hmm. a Swedish flag 
uh, just kind of furled up and tacked up to the wall. Mm-hmm. And then a there was a picture of a young Swedish girl in what would seem like like traditional costume with flower, like a flower mm-hmm. headdress sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, did did you to me for a moment for a while when I was watching the segment, I thought that like it wasn't a picture of the flower headdress, but rather they had like attached flowers to the picture. Uh, was oh. I just a I don't it know, just, man. I, I didn't have my glasses on. That's a good catch. Yeah. Like, so I was, you know, I, was, I saw that and I was like, did they only have like the two things? And they're like, okay, well, we have this just this generic picture of a young blonde girl. So which is, <laughs> mm-hmm. we, we have this picture book about Sweden and we see the, the thing, which is buy some flowers and we'll just glue them onto the picture. <laughs> I don't know. It, it just it looked like one of those optical illusion things where it could have been like they could have been 3D, but maybe they were just part of the picture and I was just misperceiving it. But yeah, uh, so we that that was the set for the Swedish consulate. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wonder if like some production assistant like just had to go to the library because this is like pre-internet and just grabbed a bunch of books on Sweden and they <laughs> made some photocopies real quick. <laughs> totally. He, you, you know, he, he went into the cho- the kids section because mm-hmm. they'll have one of those like somewhere in there they'll have like it's like a whole series of books, you know, mm-hmm. about all the countries of the world. Um, and he, he just like went in there, found the one on Sweden, sort of flipped through it. It was like, oh, yeah, yeah, this this is this is uh this is great and you know so it's it's like one of those one books that you would check out in like middle school from the school library it's about 30 or 40 pages long or, mm-hmm. you know so <laughs> uh but yeah uh but yeah they get a phone call and it's it's uh, someone who's i can't remember what the content of the call was was the mm-hmm. guy was sort of alluding to like what was he saying? He was saying that a woman hater named Lauren. Oh, L O R E N was the killer. Right. Okay. You're yes. And that this is, uh, this is where at the, cause at the end of the segment, they describe the, this guy with like a elongated nose and protruding eye, moist protruding eyes. And, Mm-hmm. He's driving a white van with a green canoe on it. Mm-hmm. And they have a little reenactment where he pulls up and was like, Hey, where are you heading? And the girls, uh, you know, the girls are like, Oh, we're going blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, you, you can get a ride with me, but you're, you're both going to have to ride up front with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if it wasn't unfortunate for the unfortunate implication of, uh, of the, uh, this being the, the, maybe the possible killer mm-hmm. the i would have actually have laughed at the line like you're both gonna have to write up front with me like that's such a guy sort of like you know i was like i'm gonna try to get both girls to just like be pressed up against me yeah uh, it's gross <laughs> yeah. yeah i know <laughs> um i'm the also the detail about moist protruding eyes is so <laughs> visceral and i was trying to the re- the guy they had in the reenactment 
as the suspected killer looked pretty normal. I would not say he yeah. had what I would call moist protruding <laughs> eyes. Um, and then I was trying to picture what that would look like. So like someone who's kind of bug eyed with, but the moist. <laughs> I don't know. I I guess. Uh, yeah. I mean, the guy looks you know fairly normalish. Mm. So. I mean, maybe uh, they were. Maybe they were murdered by a frog in a van. Oh, man. Yeah. Like, uh, so, are you, so like sort of a bipedal mm-hmm. frog. Uh, yeah. You know, he's, uh, that's yeah. What, what I'm picturing is like the WB frog. I mean, they uh, were, they their, their shit was dumped in near L.A. You know what I'm saying? Like, maybe he got off the Warner Brothers lot and he had some predilections. Uh, that, that would explain why this case is is unsolved because mm-hmm. every time the police came around to question him, it seemed like he was dead. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, sorry, I shouldn't be. Oh God, I'm I'm going to hell. Okay, um, well we both are. I'll see you there, bud. Um, shall we? Yeah. Oh, there's no update. There was just the reason unsolved mysteries is talking about it is because the Swedish consulate got this call eight years after the murders saying the WB frog named Lauren hates women and <laughs> killed the ladies. So, well, and the thing is, is like this segment ends so weirdly too, because not only is there not an update, but there's, there's, there's not a call for action. Like, you know, like with like a, there's no like sketch of what the guy, you know, might look like, Well, because we all know, you know he looks like the WB frog. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. And then, but not only that, but it kind of seemed like, didn't to you, didn't it seem like they actually cut the segment off a little short? Like there was mm-hmm. more to it? It does and, seem that way. Yeah, it was really abrupt right at and the end. The, and the fact that, like, I don't know whether this was just Amazon when, it, you know, these segments weren't originally supposed to be together and they, they had to, like, make some time or what, but... Mm-hmm. They, the, I felt really uncomfortable because the seg as the segment's ending, it's it's sort of ending on like the note that's being it's being ended on is they're talking with one of the investigators or something, and he's like, yeah, that's why it's not a good idea for uh, ladies to be uh, hitchhiking alone. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then like you get a, like a shot of the the freeway or whatever, and a, a fade out. And I just felt like I I don't think that was meant to to be like a victim shaming thing, but it kind of came across it like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So, well, I mean, I I'll, I'll say this: don't hitchhike, period, male or female. Don't don't do it. Don't be getting in cars with people that you don't know. Just don't. Yeah, that's pro- <laughs> not a good idea. <laughs> All right. right. Uh, do you want to talk about Joe Soul? Let's talk about Joe Soul. This is yet another. This is this is yet another uh, segment concerning baby selling. Baby brokers. Yeah. Baby brokers. Uh, I guess, really, honestly, by this point, we should just conclude that uh, nobody who nobody the 19, who was a kid in the 1930s or 40s was actually with the real parents. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's fair to shuffled assume. around. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
this is this is a hell of a story because we uh, and Unsolved Mysteries reminds us that we had talked about uh, this the lady in Tennessee, the baby broker from Tennessee, yeah. um, who was you know the Cruella Deville <laughs> woman who right. uh, had this whole baby broker business worked out. Basically, she was kidnapping um, young children from poor families. Uh, who basically mm. couldn't afford to defend themselves, and then she had paid this local judge to declare them unfit parents so that she could shuffle them into her baby bro- broker scheme. Um, I think in this situation, I think in that situation with the Cruella de Vil, I don't remember her name, but um, uh, uh, I think G- a- Georgina mm-hmm. Tam. Yes, yes. Oh, what a good memory you have, Georgina Tan. That was exactly it. Um, she, I think a lot of the parents she ended up getting the children, the adoptive parents, I think were kind of unaware of the scheme. And this is going to be a little bit different and more devastating with Joe soul. So, um, at this, oh my God, like everything in the story is so fucked up. <laughs> it's so bad. Uh, okay. So in 1944 ish, uh, Joe was in kindergarten and there's a re in the reenactment. There's um, these kids go up to Baby Joe and Joel, Joe, Baby Joe, and they're like, "Hey, we're gonna take your lunch because you're adopted." <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then Joe's like, uh, "Okay." And then so Baby Joe <laughs> wanders off, and now Adult Joe is telling us, you know, he he went home that day, and he he didn't know what the word adopted meant. Um, so he asked his mother, he says, you know, mother, am I adopted? Also, please explain what that means. And she said, yes. And she explains to Joe that his birth parents had been, this is all in the reenactment, by the way, his birth Uh parents had, uh, died in a tragic car accident and that his parents now had adopted him and they loved him very much yada 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 so joe he his adoptive father i think was a well-to-do attorney if i recall yes and they were well, they lived in nyack new york i want to say uh it was, it was some it was somewhere in new york right i just mm-hmm. i just can't like i just want to take a moment to like mm-hmm. point out that so many of these segments that we've come across, mm-hmm. like many of them, the kid finds out because of other kids in the neighborhood who mm-hmm. tell them that mm-hmm. he was adopted. That's like, it's a trope by this point. Yeah. Okay. But uh, I think, yes, let's talk about that for a second because how would those kids know and Joe wouldn't know? All right. Because their parents clearly right. we're having their little chats and gossips within earshot of the kids saying oh well you know the souls adopted a baby and you know because they're gonna know it's especially in a small town you're gonna know like all of a sudden this like two-year-old kid shows up with these you know with a woman that was not pregnant prior you know right um, right so no, the, the, yeah yeah um but also, like, maybe just be careful what you're saying within your shot of your children <laughs> and how you're saying that, it. Because the children then internalized that being adopted was bad and that they should bully Joe from whatever was being said by their parents in front of them. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, like when they're interviewing Grown Up Joe, he's talking about like, I didn't know what adopted meant, but mm-hmm. I, I knew they were making fun of me for it, so I knew it was bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's 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 basically how things roll on the the kindergarten playground. Yeah, I know, but it's also like shit to have a situation where everyone in town knows a secret about you that you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know, yeah. You um, you would think that like at least the mother could have done something like, you know, uh, pretend to be pregnant or something while they were waiting for the kid to. to yeah, I, I like available. how that's your solution. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, obviously they shouldn't have been paying for for a, for for a kid from a baby broker at all. I'm just saying, <laughs> if you're going to do it, don't like like don't don't like just do it half ass so that mm-hmm. the, the kid finds out really quickly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I can also understand given the circumstances of Joe's adoption. I'm putting big air quotes around adoption too. Uh, that, uh, you know, the souls would probably want to keep it kind of quiet. But, you know, like, yeah. I don't know, people talk. I'm just saying if you're going to talk, don't do it in front of your kids. That sucks. Um, no, no. Yeah, don't don't talk in front of your kids. That's for that's for when late when you put the kids to bed and you're you're in bed with your your whoever. And that's when you can gossip. Yeah. About other people in the town. I'm just saying if you yeah. have to do it. Um, OK, so. Uh, so it was like 20 years after Joe finds out that he's, he was adopted. He finds out that his parents did not die in a car accident. Um, and that his dad, uh, who had passed away in 1960. So 20 years after nine, wait, hold on. 20 years after 1944 would be 1964. And so his dad's been dead and this is, he, Joe goes to, uh, like his dad's office or something. I don't know. His and Joe's able to get. Or, yeah. Yeah, but his dad was get a his lawyer. Records. So, like, I guess lawyers need lawyers. Right, right. <laughs> well, I mean, it's that thing. If you're a lawyer, you're not going to, like, if you. They always say, you know, don't defend yourself, right? Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. I mean, just so it, it's like in um, Presumed Innocent, uh, Harrison Ford hired mm-hmm. Raul Julia to, to defend mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, who do you think Rudy Giuliani's lawyer is? <laughs> oh, it's a little topical humor. Um, God, well, I sure for his sake, he, he better not. He better not contract Sidney Powell. Oh, jeez. <laughs> have you have you have you read the, the those court documents that she's been filing? No, because I have better things to do with my time, and I assume they're all nonsense. But I did see a video well, clip uh, recently of Rudy with some drunk woman in a Michigan. Uh, yeah. Not even a court, a Michigan committee meeting. Hotel lobby or something. Yeah. Yeah. I, the thing is, is, I mean, if you read the, because the, not only are, I mean, putting aside the content of the documents, their composition mm-hmm. is just horrifically amateurish. Like, mm-hmm. th- like the very top of it is like filing in the distriction court, and then <laughs> the paragraph. <laughs> yeah, uh-uh. and then there's like the, the paragraphs are like some of them. There's no space. Like there'll be like for several lines, there won't be any spacing between any of the letters. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just like 
compositionally, it's just a mess. Yeah. Um, and the, including, and then in one part where like they 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 wrote Biden when they clearly, uh, or no, they put Trump's name when they clearly like contextually would have meant that, but Biden's name. So mm-hmm. the document reads like it's suggesting that Trump was the was the beneficiary of what they're claiming. <laughs> it's just it, yeah, it's just amateurish. Um, but anyway, yeah, I. Uh, well, yeah, uh, lawyers. Yes, lawyers need lawyers, I guess. And uh, Joe's lawyer dad had him. Mm-hmm. Well, somehow he got his dad's documents. He got him. He got mm-hmm. got the papers. Um, yeah. And th- and this is when he, l- I guess, learns about the his real family, quote unquote. Um, mm-hmm. Joe was born as allegedly was born as Robert Wilson on November third, nineteen thirty nine, and it says on the document that uh, Joe's adoptive father had that his birth mother's name was was Ruth Haverman, and so this is where it gets really. <laughs> fucking messy because as we learn um there's this woman bessie bernard who during the depression was uh you know running a baby market out of new york city um so the other thing that bessie was doing that makes all of this tracking down of joe's real family extraordinarily difficult is that bessie was forging birth certificates so right um, right so what the based on the information that Joe gets, he goes to an address in New York City, um, at, you know, asking around the area or looking for like you know rental contracts or whatever for a Haverman family. Um, s- instead, he finds out that at the address that there there had been a Habersack family that had lived yeah. there, and um, it actually wasn't even I guess it was a family named Habersack, but anyway, that the home originally had been an unwed mother's home. So that that's a place where women who were not married went to like, uh, you know, have a baby and be out of polite society for a while. Um, so Haverman and Habersack are like really similar, but again, we don't know because Bessie Bernard forged all these documents. We don't even really know if Robert Wilson was his name. If that's his real birthday, if he was actually born in New York City, we don't know any of this information. So, um, so as Joe's, you know, tracking down the case, he finds out about this Bessie Bernard and, and Unsolved Mysteries shows us that, um, there's a really cool reenactment where at some point, uh, you know, the district attorney and a cop burst into Bessie Bernard's apartment, uh, to arrest her (laughs) because they had caught wind of the baby, baby brokering business and mm-hmm. um, so, you know, Joe finds, uh, you know, through the, the archives that this Bessie person was not, you know, an adoption agency. It was not a legitimate situation. And so then yeah. uh, Joe goes back to his mother, Florence, his adoptive mother, Florence, who is still alive and says, you know, uh, excuse me. Um, <laughs> and Florence is like, oh, yeah, we uh, we bought you. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Yeah, he um, he he talks about what a, what a strange feeling that is to to find to find out like that basically you you know, you were indist- to be indistinguishable from like a couch or, or something you just you were something that was acquired yeah uh, in a transaction 
It's um, um it's I'm sure it's but also to know uh, you know, especially, you know, Joe's middle-aged at the time he's being interviewed for Unsolved Mysteries. And I assume his uh-huh. mother, who's was still living at the time, is elderly. And, you know, to know that these people who you thought were these, you know, loving, upstanding parents were capable of what we would call now, you know, child trafficking. That's what this is. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It has to be pretty earth shattering, I imagine. I just really hope that Joe got some therapy after this whole situation. <laughs> I can't even imagine oh. what what's that what that's like. I mean, it's I mean, it's quite different than um a lot of these stories we've seen where where kids are being put into the foster care system basically so foster parents could have i mean this was like two episodes ago or the last episode where there was a kid that was trying to find his uh sister and he had been basically kidnapped and put into the foster care system because he was poor and he ended up being like free labor (laughs) on this ranch (laughs) for a while so that's not exactly the situation with Joe. It sounds like he he grew up in a like you know he, he was there to be the heir apparent to the soul family, but it's still really fucked up. Um. Yeah. Anyway, what was I saying? Oh yeah. So Bessie Bernard never served any. She was arrested, but never served any jail time because she paid her fine or whatever. Also crazy. Um, uh-huh. and Joe doesn't have any legitimate documentation to find his, uh, real family because, um, there, there isn't, I mean, everything is just lies. It's just all lies. Um, right. Well, and, and the critical thing that <laughs> Betsy Bernard had her black book or whatever with all the stuff, mm-hmm. when the D the DA showed up, she threw it over to her. Older and therefore, you know, presumably much slower father, who managed mm-hmm. to to outrun the police. Uh, like, yeah, he, we see him dash off in the reenactment, and the the coppers after him. But very yeah. quickly, we in the reenactment, the copper just comes back and it's like, oh, wow. Well, okay, I guess we got the 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 we got the uh, the, the the important one in this thing or whatever. But mm-hmm. it's just like it was. It seems so. Such a slapdash operation. I, I can't imagine Elliot Ness would have approved of this. No, you, you know that if he mm-hmm. if he was b- busting down on this, you know, case, he would have been like smashing smashing the door down, flooding the entire apartment with like forty police officers. Um, you know, uh, fi- finding trying to find the where where the barrels of the babies were so he could break them open and spill the contents out all over the, the ground and be like, <laughs> "Yeah, you're through with this operation." <laughs> but uh, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I think this segment, uh, you know, so Joe's asking anyone out there to help help find is he has a little bit of information it's his mother's either ruth haverman or haversack and he was either born in uh new york city or Hart- hartford connecticut oh no he's born in either new york or florida i don't know i think they said connecticut in the show 
So he's asking, you know, and here, here I am watching, I've watched so many Lost Love segments of Unsolved Mysteries, and at this point, almost all of them have been resolved, and we get either a white text update of saying, okay, they were reunited, or Unsolved Mysteries is there to, you know, be there for the reunification of the family members, <laughs> but I have to say, mm-hmm. this is like one of the funniest updates. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is seen as how we've been setting it up for years of doing this podcast now, mm-hmm. talking mm-hmm. about like, if only, if only, mm-hmm. if only, so if tell, only tell there us. had been a DNA test. <laughs> <laughs> or a website uh, that could help you with such things and and things. and lo there was so in 2013 joe did a dna test through ancestry.com he found two of his first cousins um through them he learned that his mother had passed away and actually her last yeah. name was braverman her real name had been ruth braverman huh. that's um, not even close to have her role Braverman rhymes with Haverman. That's what he originally thought it was. So, um, so yeah. So then, uh, so he's met his cousins, I guess. Yes. Which, I mean, that's great that he found, you know, someone that he has some sort of connection to, but mm-hmm. what a, what an interesting contrast this, this serves. Cause in the, what, in one of the, in the reenactment earlier, we get, you know, basically, uh, this depiction of him just approaching people, leaving the apartment, building mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. being like hey did do you know if there was any woman who lived here named so-and-so and the mm-hmm. you know person be like gee i don't know mm-hmm. and jump ahead and you know years later the the internet exists and and <laughs> through through a website website he was able to to, to find this information presumably with a lot less legwork yeah, yeah, I uh, I I really thought that was one of the the funniest updates we've gotten. Just like, I, oh yeah, what, just yeah. It, there was a website, which is like the joke I'm constantly making. Like, if only they'd had Facebook or Ancestry.com back then, <laughs> Unsolved Mysteries wouldn't have much content. Uh, yeah. So we should probably move on. The next one up uh, is going to be the either. Uh, either psychic bus driver or disappeared uh, missing person segment uh, revolving around either a racing horse transaction or a gas uh, purchase transaction. This this is an interesting segment because it it's when it, when they first started playing it, I was like, oh. Oh, okay. This is going to be an unexplained because I wasn't paying mm-hmm. attention to the title, the segment uh, category. Uh, basically, in 1991, we 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 get a short little thing with this guy named Tyrone Rollins, who was a school bus driver, mm-hmm. and they basically talk about how he had this because he had these. Um, what did they refer to them as? Uh, projections. Mm-hmm. or premonitions or whatever and he just one of this was he had this eerie feeling about this hill behind the, the scope bus depot and so he actually goes looking around it finally and they show him coming into this cave and finding a 
a skeleton with some decayed clothing uh, on it. And whoa, okay, so forget about this bus driver because this is not in a segment on the unexplained. We're just throwing that in there, uh, and instead, it's going to be about a missing persons. We what, we dial the time back to the 1970s and follow this guy named Gary Simmons, who uh, in the reenactment is kind of portrayed as kind of a nerd, right? I mean, yeah, business guy with glasses, and he's got the uh, big wire, the-, the big wire frames that everybody was wearing back then. Yeah, he gets a, he develops a, he owns like a chain of gas stations or something. Mm-hmm. And he gets a, this big interest in horse trading. And they mm-hmm. show, they have a little reenactment of him at one of the, one of the horse uh, shows or whatever. And he's talking with someone and he, they, like the, the, they betray him as this guy is just like, oh gosh, gee whiz, this, this horse stuff sure is. Sure is, sure is something. And, <laughs> <laughs> and so in the, the reenactment, they show that uh, they depict him learning that this guy named Dixon, uh, Tom Dixon? Yeah, uh, that's right. Was, yeah, was selling a horse for $30,000, mm-hmm. which in 1970s money would mean that this horse is probably more expensive than uh, most people's houses. Yeah, I think in 1970s money that equals around $200 million today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, uh, I mean, and so in the reenactment, Gary, the, the, Gary is like, oh, wow. I mean, he acts like that's just a sum that no one could fathom buying. But strangely enough, he does uh, actually our next scene is him actually. Uh, engaging in this transaction the the Tom Dixon character comes around portrayed in the reenactment as kind of a short but well built guy mm-hmm. um, and he comes and visits Gary at his office and then the receptionist she observes that they both leave and there are a series of phone calls that are made but no one actually no one on the receiving end of these calls sees Gary. The only per- person who's possibly sees Gary after this point is like a cook at a at a truck stop cafe who noticed him sort of loitering around in the uh, in the dining area, constantly looking out the window and just sort of pacing and looking nervous. Um, so. Uh, what happens is like Gary's receptionist receives a call from uh, uh, from him, and he, and he's like, "I'm gonna buy a, I'm gonna buy this horse that I, I was so excited about." So, uh, cut a thirty thousand dollar check to Mr. Dixon, and then Gary's bank receives a phone call from him, and I guess Gary's uh, the bank agent recognizes his voice, and Gary is like, "I'm sending someone over with a thirty thousand dollar check. Make sure it gets cashed." And so Mr. Dixon shows up to the bank, gets $30,000 in exchange for a check. And did you notice in the reenactment that this money is being put in this suitcase, which if this is normal sized bills that we're talking about would Mm -hmm. make this a very small suitcase. 
like, because there's there's basically like there's thirty thousand dollars and three stacks of ten thousand mm-hmm. each, mm-hmm. and they're they're they like just they, there's barely enough space in this little suitcase <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to, to to for all three of those piles. And well, he closes. I think that's a re- there's a really simple explanation for that. And back in the 1970s, like a uh, like a American paper currency was like I don't know about two inches wide and three inches high. You know, they were like little note cards. So. Okay. <laughs> what they they were? No. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, um, I'm, yes, it does seem like a production oversight that they what they had on hand was a tiny little suitcase that could not carry that amount of money. Which, I mean, the thing is, is I became really fascinated by this tiny suitcase because it's like I've never seen a suitcase that small before. Mm-hmm. Ever. I mean, mm-hmm. what, what what is it for? normally for? Well, is it is bigger like, than a... I don't remember from the reenactment. Is it bigger than a briefcase? It doesn't seem like it's bigger than a briefcase, no. Maybe usually, you know what? You know what? You know what, Robbie? Oh boy! I bet somebody. I'd have to look at the. I'd have to look at the this bit again, and I don't have it right in front of me. But I bet what happened was they realized they needed a prop, and one the only thing they had available was like some case for uh, sound or camera equipment. Oh man, yeah, that makes sense. Cause it, yeah, cause it was, it was, it, cause it was also oddly shaped mm-hmm. in, in a way. Uh, so, well, I mean, it'll do in a pinch, but obviously, for the close observer such as yourself, it's quite obvious it was not a real suitcase that would hold that amount of money. Yeah, it's just like I, I wasn't sure what they were going with. Like, well, I mean, they make the the, the Stixon guy seem like he's kind of short. The, the, were they just like making fun of him for being small or something? I <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and so then we get another perplexing thing, which is after this. Um, they have a little reenactment where he shows up at the uh, scrap at a scrapyard with Gary's car, mm-hmm. and it was like, "Hey, I need to get rid of this car." And the scrapyard uh, dealer is like, uh, "Well, I can definitely crush it down for you, but uh, I can't melt it down because um, uh, you know they're, they're, they're sort of watching the furnace pretty closely." And the Tom the Dixon's like, "Well, what can I do?" And the you know the scrapyard deer it's like well you could put a brick on the accelerator and drive it into the missouri river or something and this this whole exchange happens and i'm wondering how do they know what was said is this what like the scrapyard dealer told them they talked about why is he like admitting that he he was (laughs) that he was going to be involved in this sort of thing very strange Hmm. Um, and then, then it's funny, like, cause like there people spot Dixon, like, apparently hitchhiking in a truck, um, uh, without the car, which was later found. And they said it was only, it was found only like a couple of miles away from the scrap dealership. Mm-hmm. So I can't, I can't help but wonder that I, I feel like that sc- scrap dealer 
when he found out the car was found right there, he was like, what the hell? I didn't mean for him to just do it right next to my shop. I, mm-hmm. I, he gave the advice clearly assuming the guy would drive it, you know, like a hundred miles out of town or something. Uh, so uh, just, just, just some stuff I, I noticed in the reenactment that I found amusing. You know, after hearing you describe this segment and having obviously watched it myself, I still have no idea what the hell was going on in the segment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I you're, you're kind of left to infer that. To, I mean, I my only guess and bear in mind, the explanation I'm about to give literally makes no sense mm-hmm. that somehow the Dixon guy was going to like there was no horse he was actually going to to hold like hold Gary Simmons hostage and only release him for in exchange for the money but the thing is and so like Gary Simmons he's at the diner waiting for Dixon to to I guess return with his car <laughs> after he's gotten the money uh but that's the thing. Why, if 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 he knew something was a awry, I mean, why is he, why is he staying in the diner? Dixon is gone. He, uh, you could just leave, or or tell the tell the chef, the cook at the diner, like, hey, there's something going on that I I need mm-hmm. to call the cops. Um, and this only gets further complicated because they kind of throw in like in less than in less than a minute they have a little interview with this other guy involved with horse racing who was like no the horse race the horse thing was legit well the reason gary was murdered or what whatever was because he was buying gasoline uh on the black market uh because this was during the uh, arab oil embargo right yeah. So Unsolved Mysteries just decides to throw that little thing in there. And we don't know what happened. I mean, I still don't know anything that happened in this. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I, not only did we not get a conclusion, but yes, we, we also don't, don't know, don't know what, what, what was going on in this reenactment. Um, I I think part of the I think the part of the problem is when anybody starts talking about horses, I just immediately stop listening. Oh, you're not you're not a horse girl. I'm not. I'm like the opposite. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. All animals are great. I love every animal. But there are some animals that I love less and horses I love less. And um, I don't want anything to do with them. Like, I don't want any, like, I don't want any harm to ever come to a horse ever. But I also, like, don't care. (laughs) So, um, like, when anybody starts talking about, like, horse, showing horses or, like, I feel like I'm going to lose so many, we're going to lose so many listeners over this one issue for some reason. I feel like there's probably like a pretty like if there's a Venn diagram of unsolved mysteries, nostalgia podcast listeners and horse girls. I think like that's that's like a lot of overlap in the center of that Venn diagram. And I've probably just alienated a ton of people. It's fine if if you like horses. I mean, it's insane to pay thirty thousand dollars for one. But you do you, boo. I don't know. (laughs) 
Well, we're well, if we're gonna isolate uh, isolate them. We might as well go for broke. Um, so, what in the order of which you, if you were starving, you would eat mm-hmm. eat an, an animal? Uh, mm. I, I take it then that you would you would be eating a horse before before a dog or a cat. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, and you could you could serve like you could serve me horse meat right now, and I'd try it. I don't care. Ah, okay. I mean, I we've just uh. lost our entire listenership. <laughs> I know it. I know it. Mission I mean, accomplished. <laughs> no, I really, I don't, I don't want, I don't want any harm to come to horses, and I don't like that horses are trafficked often to be um, r- race horses, and they are they die a lot because of that, and I don't like any of that stuff. Oh, yeah. no. Let's not do that to horsies. Um, it's just, I just, there's, there's so much culture around like, uh, showing horses still to yeah. this day. It's a whole, it's a whole thing. There's like a documentary on Amazon I watched a couple years ago about a county, I think it was a county controller. No, it was a town controller. Anyway, they're the accountant, uh, for a town. And this woman who had this uh, predilection for showing horses had basically uh, laundered. No, she stole it. It's not laundering. She stole the money from the town to like buy horses. So she had this whole like arena at her house, basically. And she had this whole stable of all these really expensive um purebred horses and she like the horse people get real crazy as we are seeing in this segment so yeah i don't know i it's a whole thing and i don't care for any of it that seems like that'd be a horrible investment that she should she should go with the gold standard nice and safe investment that all of our favorite Medford, Oregon con men like to put their money into, which is sportsman mm-hmm. reveal, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you, but you know what? But you know what? Some of these, like, there is a whole thing with like horse semen. Okay, like, okay, I, that sounds weird, and it is. But uh, as far as breeding horses, like, try you. Ha- there's all these stud fees. Have you ever heard of this? I, I, I'm actually going to confess that. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> when uh-huh. you said horse semen, I actually pictured some horses in like World War II Navy <laughs> sort of uniforms. Robbie, <laughs> that's like, like really, really pure. pure. That's really <laughs> Thank pure. you. <laughs> hey, maybe we should like just move on um, and talk about the last segment. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Let's yeah. get away from okay. this as quickly as possible. <laughs> Fortunately, this last segment's kind of quick. Um, it's about uh, it concerns Fidelity National Medical Supply Inc., which uh, Robert Stack he starts out talking about how you know uh, they uh, th- this company placed like advertisements in newspapers all across the country where it's like looking for a good investment. You know, if you've got Eighteen to fifty-six thousand dollars, or whatever, uh, you can become a distributor for th- this company. Blah blah blah. And so the uh, the this they interview one of the saps who got, fell for this, 
they would fly them into Oklahoma City, and a limousine would pick them up and take them to what seemed like a legitimate office and warehouse. There were people working there, you know, shuffling papers and writing on stuff and there's a warehouse with boxes, boxes everywhere and people mm-hmm, there's a lot of boxes. boxes. Are, yeah. And so the, 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 one of the victims uh, of, of this, of this scheme talked about like, well, you know, you looked at it and it was like, well, gosh, it looks like an actual business that's happening. Uh, and then when he walks, when he and the person who's helping con him walk away from the window of the door, that looks into the warehouse, the camera kind of pans over to like, you know, to a spot where he wouldn't have been able to see where this young man is just like assembling empty boxes Uh (laughs) (laughs) because yes, all those boxes were empty. This was a scam. The guy did try to check with the better business bureau and and stuff, Mm -hmm. but apparently this, this, this scheme had only, you know, had only just started or whatever, so right. they didn't have any prior complaints. Well, I'm also uh, fairly certain the Better Business Bureau only <laughs> keeps track of like businesses that are actually registered with an LLC, not just they don't keep track of just total scams. So, I mean, <laughs> well, I don't yeah, know. I guess but... that's, yeah, that that would make sense as well. Yeah, good point. Good point. Uh, yeah, because this this was this was an entire false front. Um, you know, the, 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 the office, the, the warehouse, uh, I mean, these, these people, which I have to wonder, cause these people, they were actually being paid, uh, were they just, were they all like, just like, this was all cognizant of this scheme or were most of them just like, Hey, I got this great job. I just sit at this desk and I just. Mm-hmm fill out these papers and shuffle them around and, and, and stuff. And I really don't do that much work. <laughs> I think yeah, that, I'm, I think, I'm sure it's just, they hired people to like make boxes. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> like, like you're a young man in Oklahoma city and you know, you're like, you're 18 and you're looking for a job and it, mm-hmm. you know, things like we'll pay you so many dollars an hour. And you just, you just put together boxes and you're like, damn, I can do that. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, they're paying me and I'm just, I just, I just put these boxes together all day and just stack them up. I, I don't know what they're doing with them. I guess they're, you know, they, maybe they sell boxes to, to people who need boxes to put, <laughs> to, 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 to put things into. <laughs> I don't, yeah. Um, but yeah, so the segment ends pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wait, can we talk about, uh, before we end it, can we talk about when the uh, FBI and IRS came to raid the warehouse and they're opening the boxes only to discover they're all empty? There's like one right. guy in the reenactment kind of towards the back of the scene who's Ooh. just really doing the most. <laughs> With these empty boxes, he's like ripping them and open and tossing them asunder. And he's being so dramatic. And he's like throwing his hands in the air. And it was it, I, it was funny to me. This I, I, IRS I, agent like ripping open the boxes and completely overacting. He, you know, he was probably like, hey, this this, you know, this is my one opportunity to really 
really to, to, to make it on, on, on the television program. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to make sure that, you know, uh, I'm going to make sure that I, 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 I use this time for as much as it's worth. And, uh, yeah, like they, they said that they had, they opened all the boxes, right? Mm-hmm. Like every they single one. To make sure yeah. Every single one. <laughs> So there's like some some young man, eighteen year old old uh, in Oklahoma City with like you know who's just like watching from a distance as all of his work is undone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like I spent I spent weeks months yeah. assembling all those boxes. Now they're just yeah. ripping them apart. Was was my job so meaningless? Yeah. <laughs> I th- yeah, they definitely th- threw some teenager into like an existential crisis. Right. <laughs> um. So basically, they, uh, they, the FBI and the RS they they apprehended these two guys, um, Thomas Flanagan and Harold Frederick Kruger, or as I would prefer to call him, Freddy Kruger. Yeah. Um, that's and, his name. Yeah. <laughs> it is. And they were like two underlings in this operation who were, uh, they ended up serving some jail time uh, for, for this. But there's apparently, there was a man above them who was going by the name of Richard Cond- Condia. Cond- mm. Cond- Cond- but uh, I guess he that that individual never got caught, right? Yeah, I'm reading the wiki here, and it says that they th- they think Flanagan and Kruger just made up Condia, like it wasn't a real person. Oh, okay, so uh, it was entirely them. All right. Yeah. You make you you make up a fake bo- uh, guy above you to try to like cut a plea deal. I'll go. What's I'll give up Condia. Here's where you can find him. <laughs> Here's everything I know about Condia. I'm cooperating. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! Well, uh, hey, that's the we should we should uh, wrap it up in a neat little bow yes. for uh, the holidays. I think here, sir. Oh yeah, yeah! Happy, uh, happy, happy whatever uh, you know. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> happy whatever um, you're celebrating or not not celebrating this year. <laughs> it's all good. Um, you can find. Yes. You, you can celebrate with us uh, by posting a picture of your Christmas tree at, on our Twitter at reenactedpod mm-hmm. or or send us an email at reenactedpod at gmail.com. There's a Facebook group. You can, you can figure it out on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so and please go to iTunes and give us five stars. That, yes. that would be better than any gift that you could mail us well th- you could be a patreon actually too <laughs> oh yeah yeah um yeah so patreon.com slash reenacted pod um if you feel like uh helping uh helping keeping robbie's cats fed and um sometimes robbie will mail you things if you're a patreon it's true he's done it um yeah and yeah. big thanks to all the folks there's just so many of you <laughs> that have contributed to our patreon i'm laughing uh because it's really not that many but it's but it is significant those who have uh signed up to do that so thank you so much um 
One thing I want to mention, it's not for this podcast, but it's a project that I've been working on. And so I wanted to alert our listeners to this. Yeah, you don't like even know about it. So I'm going to use this time to plug it. I uh, built a bar in my backyard um, over the summer. (laughs) And um, I named it uh, after a long running joke on another podcast, which isn't this one, but it's called The Greatest Generation. And it's about uh, Star Trek. And it's two two guys talking about Star Trek in a way that uh, I think both Robbie and myself find very funny to listen to. So I named my bar. Whoa, wait a second. What? You're, oh, I'm sorry. You're, oh my God. You're going to tell me that you named it. You actually, uh-huh. you actually made, I'm sorry. So, sorry. Go ahead and tell, tell us. Um, okay. I, I named, uh, the bar is named Shimoda. Shimoda. And, uh, that's, uh, based on a character, uh, in the Star Trek, the next generation who appears briefly, uh, in the episode called the naked, um, the naked now, uh, and you can watch that and then catch up with that other podcast. But what I am plugging is obviously since I built a bar, I needed a bunch of cocktails to go with it. So I am authoring and will be releasing for free for download uh, a uh, companion bar book. And it has about 10 recipes that I developed of cocktails that um, are also kind of tied in with inside jokes with Star Trek and some are based on um, Next Generation Deep Space Nine characters. So I will be putting that out on the Twitter feed. It is not Unsolved Mysteries related content, but it is Star Trek related content. And it is also drinking related content. And I wrote a book. So that is going to be coming out before uh, Christmas here real soon. So I just wanted to put that out there for our listeners in case they like to have a little drinky poo like I do. My my, I, uh, my mind is so blown because at first I thought the bar was the big announcement. No. And then like, <laughs> and then like to find out that like, oh, my, that's so cool, Christo. You, you made a, you made a Star Trek to drink book. Mm hmm. Oh, I did. Yeah, I, I did. Yeah. I also built a bar. <laughs> you also built a bar, which I mean, I that alone I would have been amazed by. Uh, is it, uh, you know, you know what, 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 what would be perfect for it since it's called mm-hmm. Shimoda's. I'm pretty sure there's like on, on the greatest gen store, there's like glass. There's glasses and stuff mm-hmm. with Shimoda's yeah, on, right? There are. Just... I was gonna I was gonna get some, but they've been sold out for a really long time. So Oh, Kirsten. Okay. Oh, yeah. Um, but someday, someday I will be acquiring those for Shimoda's. Um so anyway, right. I didn't want to spend too much time on that. So I just wanted to put that out there for our listeners that I have authored a cocktail book that will be released soon for free for download. Everyone, everyone, get a copy and start making those drinks at home. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Robbie, do you want to do the thing? Every mystery, some. Um, hmm. For every. Hmm. Uh, so uh, join it. Uh, um, hmm. Every mystery has an answer. Uh, perhaps it's you. Ha <laughs> ha